Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hey guys, this is Russ and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Marjorie, Melissa, and Cheryl Lynn. Marjorie Knox is a biracial, Asian, and Caucasian female missing from Chaparral, New Mexico. She was last seen on February 14, 1987. She's remembered as a fun-loving girl who liked to ride horses and climb trees. On February 13, 1987, Marjorie attended a Valentine's Day party at Veterans Park in the northeast part of El Paso, Texas. She had promised to be home by 10 p.m., but never returned. From what we know, Marjorie went to a party, and at some point she was seen talking to a man driving a small truck that pulled up to the park entrance. After the party, she went back to Chaparral, New Mexico, which is only about 25 miles away, I hung out with a female friend on Chaparro Street. She left a friend's home around 2 a.m. and she attended a walk home, which would have been about a 15-minute walk. But the street her friend stayed on is said to be a road that was unpaved and had little street lights. According to an old article I was able to find, the friend's mother would go on to say, when I got home from work that night, Dulcia wanted to take the car to give Marjorie a ride home. I wouldn't let her use the car because the last time I let her do that, she ran the car into a ditch. It was cold at night and Dacia walked Marjorie to the corner. That was the last time we saw her. Now, originally, it's believed that the police did not take her disappearance seriously. It was rumored that she may have been pregnant and it's said that the family really couldn't confirm or deny it at that time. It appears they also heard some rumors, but they weren't sure. It seems that that might have played a part in the police thinking that she had a reason to run away. But see, here's the thing. Marjorie wouldn't be the only young girl to go missing from the El Paso general area in 1987. In fact, young women started disappearing from that area in alarming numbers. Nine of them, to be exact. All of these women, or in some case girls, because some of them were very much were in their teens, were all small, petite brunettes. Six of them would be found dead. Three of them are still presumed missing. And those three include Marjorie, along with Melissa Anais, and Cheryl Lynn Vasquez. And we're going to cover their stories today. Now, as I continue on with this story, some of you crime buffs are like, hold on, I know this case. This isn't a little-to-known case, and rest, you cover little-known cases. But the reason I'm covering this story is because while this case is kind of known, the three missing individuals we're covering today's episode are ones that get little coverage. Even though this case is kind of known, their names are usually only included in the story for maybe a sentence or two. 
when you read an article, maybe two minutes if you listen to another podcast. They're almost like footnotes, and yet they're still found missing. We still don't know where they are. And also, all three of them are women of color. Oftentimes when this case is told, it's focused on two particular victims, with one particular victim's family being very vocal and doing lots of interviews and really championing for their loved one who was eventually found deceased. And then the rest of the time you hear this story covered, it's really centered around the suspected murderer and his story and what he's done. And I don't think that's fair. So... I wanted to give a chance for us to cover what we know about these three still missing victims. Now, one thing we find out is that Melissa and Marjorie actually knew each other as they were former classmates. In fact, they weren't the only ones that knew each other from the nine women that went missing at the same time. And this will be later used to help this police zero down on a suspect. Now, Cheryl Lynn Vasquez She was the eldest of the three that are still presumed missing. She was 19 years old and worked at a fast food restaurant on Dyer Street and at the Matador Plastics Factory in Northeast El Paso at the time of her disappearance. See, she was last seen on June 28, 1987. She was at a Circle K store on McComb Street where she had gone to buy cigarettes for a friend. She was last seen talking to David Leonard Wood. Someone that she was kind of acquainted with in the store parking lot. And this is the last time anyone had seen her. See, Cheryl was a newly married woman, but not everybody knew that. She married a man named Robert just a week before she disappeared. But Robert was actually serving time in prison for a burglary and attempted murder at the time of their marriage and at the time of her disappearance. Cheryl's family appeared to be very confused by this marriage, and in fact, they weren't aware that she was married before she went missing. According to some reports, this was brand new information for them. Some reports would go on to say they believed that this may have been a green card marriage to help Robert from being deported. Now, Cheryl's family had not been active in the news in regards to her disappearance, but oddly enough, her husband's family has. I found several articles from back in the day that report that her mother-in-law claims that, nah, she's seen Cheryl alive after she left that Circle K. But almost every article that reports this almost immediately follows up with clarification that this is a claim that has not been proven to be true or claimed by anybody else. And many find it weird that the mother-in-law keeps claiming this And Cheryl's family is like, we don't even know who this woman is, essentially. Now, the third individual still missing from the Apostle 9 is Melissa Alanis, who was last seen at El Paso, Texas on March 7th, 1987. She went to play video games at a convenience store and then just never returned home. Now, Melissa had run away from home just two weeks earlier. She got into an argument with her family, but she returned home after two days, and that was the first and only time she ever ran away. There was nothing to indicate that she ran away or did not plan to return that evening that she actually went missing. Melissa was only nine years old at the time of her disappearance. 
Now, despite the fact that she had recently run away, police did take her disappearance seriously and they looked at it as suspicious. Now, as I said earlier, these three weren't the only female victims missing from the area at the time. Again, there was a total of nine females missing from the same area within a span of a year. And again, they were all petite and still young between their teens and early 20s. And even the ones in the early 20s look very young. And they were all brunette, all missing from the same area within one year. It did not take long for people to find it suspicious that so many young women with these same similarities had gone missing. An article from the El Paso Times dating back to October of 1987 shows that the police and family members were already connecting the dots. In September of that same year, some of the parents of the missing young ladies and children met to discuss the similarities in the case. By this time, the bodies of some of the victims had already been found, all within a half a mile from each other. The police had came upon a serial killer's dumping ground. On September 4th, an El Paso utility worker found remains in a shallow grave in a desert. Police were called to the scene to determine, yep, those were human remains. But here's the thing, within two hours of confirming the remains were in fact human, a second body was found. Police ended up finding the bodies of Rosa Maria Casillo, who was 24, Ivy Susanna Williams, 23, Karen Baker, 20, Angelica Frosto, 17, and Don Marie Smith, 14. All within the same area. Some of them have been stabbed, others have been strangled, and some have been raped. Police began to focus on sexual offenders in the area due to the natures of the murders. They also started looking at how the victims were connected. See, two of the victims had went to the same middle school, and the students reported that a man with tattoo used to ride around on a motorcycle or a truck, and he would be around the school a lot. His nickname was Skeeter, and police will soon identify him as 30-year-old David Leonard Wood. Now, David Maine would keep coming up in these victims' cases as a lot of them seemed to have some connection to him in one way or another. His name was first connected to two victims who went to school together because this grown man was always riding around that school. But see, he was also the last person our still missing individual, Cheryl Lynn, was last seen talking to. He also matched the description of the man Marjorie was last seen conversing with. As if you remember, at the dance, she was seen conversing with an individual and a truck while still at the dance. And he was the person numerous people say they saw Desiree Wheatley get into a tan colored truck with as well. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com listen. 
See, David Wood was a 30-year-old Caucasian male at the time of these murders. He was recently paroled after serving seven years and have a two-concurrent 20-year sentence for an earlier rape charge. See, he was originally jailed on a rape charge as another victim came forward and was able to pick him up from a lineup from a rape that occurred between July 26th and August 7th of that same year. It said that he took her to the desert and raped her, but she managed to escape. The young woman did not report this to the police until about 18 or 19 days after the police discovered the bodies of some of the victims of the Apostle 9 in the desert. Now, some believe that because this young woman that came forward and accused him of rape during the time of this investigation, that because she was a prostitute, she thought her story would not matter and that's why she didn't come to the police immediately until she saw news of the police pulling bodies of several women from that very area she states the rape occurred. She was able to identify David as the perpetrator. Now police, they were able to use this charge to hold David in jail as they built a case against him for the murders of the desert victims. However, he would never go on to be tried for the disappearance of Marjorie, Cheryl, Lynn, or Melissa. Pat Lalama, an Emmy Award-winning journalist and producer of Oxygen's Mark of a Serial Killer, which actually discusses David in his case in detail, went on to say, and I quote, They use a certain kind of older biker guy charm with tattoos and the hair slicked back and the cigarettes rolled up in his shirt, and kids are impressionable. I remember being a kid and you'd meet older people at a concert or something, and you'd say, Oh, they're so cool. And he used that to lure these young girls who might have been ever so vulnerable. And that seems to be the appeal of David. He kind of had this bad boy biker aura to him. And if you were a young girl or woman, you might have been too naive to know the dangers of such an aura. On someone simply suggesting, hey, you know, let me give you a ride home. Because again, this is 1987. No one was binge watching crime docs or listening to podcasts on the regular. And while we've known for centuries that, yeah, strangers can be dangerous, let's remember the stranger danger panic really didn't kick off until the 80s, mostly because of crimes like this starting to be a regular occurrence on the news. But something else to keep in mind, some of these victims might not have exactly looked at him as a stranger. Because again, he had connections to some of them. Some of them might have thought, yeah, that's a guy we see all the time. He's always by the school. We all, we all kind of know him. We all kind of, you know, know his nickname and stuff. It gave him a false sense of security. The fact that I see him a lot. I know his nickname. We all kind of know his nickname. How dangerous can it be? But unfortunately, it was still very, very dangerous. Now, David Wood would maintain his innocence despite having some sort of connection to nearly all nine of the victims who disappeared or were murdered. On November 10th of 1992, he was convicted on serial murder charges and sentenced to death for six murders. But again, he was not convicted of anything regarding the disappearance of Marjorie, Cheryl Lynn, and Melissa. On August 20th of 2009, 
He was scheduled to die by lethal injection, but was spared as his attorney filed an appeal, claiming David suffered from mental retardation. He was spared just 24 hours before he was supposed to die. The appeal was denied, but his attorney just kept appealing, and till this day, David's still alive and well. He remains on Texas death row. A retired El Paso detective, Jerry Ibarra, is quoted as saying, Wood is intelligent. He knows what he's doing. And this detective isn't the only one who believes so. He would go on to say, We believe he was responsible for the three young women who are still missing, Marjorie Knox, Cheryl Vasquez, and Melissa Alanez. We suspected that Wood had other burial grounds for his victims, but we never found the others who are missing. I feel bad about that. We followed many leads, including one involving satanic rituals, and we spent a lot of hours searching the desert. Now, remember I said Cheryl Lynn's family has not been exactly vocal in the news about her disappearance, but her mother-in-law has. And again, her mother-in-law is the mother of a man that her family didn't even know she married before she went missing. And the odd thing is that this woman had been in the media saying things like, yeah, no, Sherilyn, she, I saw her alive after the time people had said she disappeared. And again, nobody else backs this. Nobody else even knows where this came from. But also, her mother-in-law has been an advocate for David Wood. She even once did an interview where she mentions that she believes David had nothing to do with Sherilyn's disappearance and she believes that he's innocent. She said David had called her earlier that week, but she declined to speak because she had no idea it was him that was calling. In that same article, she went on to say, he didn't kill those girls, someone else did. I will put my hands in the fire for David. Now, Cheryl's brother, Pete Vasquez, has gone on to mention that he and David actually attended the same church. He doesn't recall meeting David, but, but was quoted as saying, I don't recall specifically meeting David Wood, but a week or two after I started attending, the group was asked to pray for him because he had been arrested. He, of course, did not know that the person they were asking for prayers for would be connected to his sister's disappearance. He went on to say he hopes David will disclose any details about his missing sister, but thus far, Woods has not. He maintains that he has nothing to do with Cheryl Lynn's disappearance or any of the other disappearances either. Now, going back to Cheryl Lynn's mother-in-law advocating for David, while some people find this surprising, unfortunately, we shouldn't have. I mean, even on this podcast here, we have covered the details of individuals who've done very bad things. I mean, like caught in HD doing bad things. And there's their mothers, just as bummy as ever, defending their quote-unquote babies. They're so innocent. They deserve a second chance. And we know that those mothers are probably a big part of why those individuals went on to do those very bad things. And while Sherilyn's mother-in-law was not the mother of David Wood, Let's not forget, her son was also in jail for murder and other things. So her capping for men gone bad, doing horrible things to other individuals and women, 
it shouldn't be too far of a stretch. What is the term that they use now? Ah, pick me's. You know, the women who love to advocate for men who do horrible things to other women. And they try to find every little bit of cognitive dissonance that they can to advocate for these men. And that seems to be what's going on here. But I don't know the woman. I don't know their history. But what I do know is that that's probably a slap in the face of the people whose missing loved ones are still gone. And there's so many coincidences and pieces of evidence and things that let them know that this David man is probably very much connected to their loved one's disappearance. And even those who got closure, who got to see him get tried for the murder of their loved ones, that has to be a slap in the face to hear that this woman keeps coming out defending him, talking about how she still talks to him. And while that is her right, What a horrible, trashy way to use those rights. Now, some rumors state that former cellmates of Woods have claimed that he was a drug dealer and that some of his victims were individuals that sold drugs for him. But that's really one of those things that's out there that has not really been confirmed. But one thing that has been confirmed is that Wood is a known pedophile. He was known for his sexual deviance. I mean, he has a criminal record that details his sexual deviance and predatory behaviors. That is not rumors. Those are the facts. As of now, police have no new updates on any of the remissing victims. Melissa, Cheryl Lynn, and Marjorie's case have gone cold. Even when you listen to videos on this case, it almost feels like their disappearances are nothing more than a footnote. But they deserve to be remembered and they deserve to be found. I understand why we don't hear a lot about their case. There's not a lot of detail. You can't really find a lot of details on them, not their life, not really their disappearance. But I still think we need to share their stories. David is still alive. We might be able to still get information. There might have still been someone that saw something that they thought, eh, it's not a big enough deal to tell, but it could be. I ask that if you have any information about these three missing individuals, that you give a call to the Donna Anna County Sheriff's Department at 575-526-0795. That's all I have for today's episode. I do thank you guys all so much for listening and sharing the podcast, sharing the pictures of these individuals and just keeping their memory alive, calling in with tips and details for their families and loved ones. If you head over to the podcast Instagram, you will see that I have pictures of the individuals missing and some pictures that might be attached with their case at the Overlooked underscore podcast. As always, I ask that you guys stay safe, that you guys stay vigilant, and that you guys have a great rest of the week. You're the sound of my voice with a new episode in two weeks. Bye. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly
truly matter. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.